You know the black olives, pitted black olives, you know, you put them on your fingers as a kid? Black olives. Jelly, sweet jelly salad. Um, of course, then there's the, the pie and the cake. And you know, there was no drinking. It was a big black pot of coffee on the fire pit. We call it cowboy coffee now. That's all the adults drank, was coffee, and us kids got Kool-Aid. And those were good times, good times. And I have very fond memories of that. Now, as I was thinking, I thought, you know, the, the communion table is kind of like a, a family reunion. Or as brothers and sisters, we gather around this, this table, and later, uh, after the service, we'll share a meal together, and we'll talk, and we'll love on each other, and support each other, and cry with each other, and pray. And, and this, this communion thing that we, we do in remembrance of Jesus is, is a significant part of our walk as Christians. And <clears throat> I don't know about you, but when I come to this table, I mean, Sometimes when I'm serving, I don't really have a chance to, to meditate in prayer. I'm too concerned about tripping over something or dropping the plate or something like that. But when I do have a chance to meditate on what the Lord has done, my thoughts are fairly simple. It's very personal. And I thank him for loving me, for dying for me, um, for blessing me. And uh, I'm just grat- grateful. But this morning, I'd like, I'd like to expand on that a little bit more, because I think it's already been alluded to, is that um, there's a lot of things happened when Jesus died on the cross and was rose, rose again. A lot of things happened. There's a lot of history here. And as we ponder the communion this morning, um, I'd like to kind of refresh our memories, going back in history, to answer the question, well, how did we get here? And where are we going? Where are we going? Paul, in, in Ephesians, um, I, I beg your patience to my small group. We just started studying Ephesians, and you know sometimes the lights come on, and uh, you think, ah, that is an excellent passage. We should talk about that. In the first chapter, Paul said, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. When Jesus died and rose again, he he was taking part in a story that started way beyond in the beginning, way beyond creation. And it's a story that journeys far, farther than we can ever imagine into the future. And uh, I know Walter could help you answer some questions about what John is talking about in the book of Revelations, about what we have to look forward to in the future. But this cup and, and bread opens up this whole huge story that goes from the beginning of time to the end of time. And Paul says, we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. Can you imagine what that is? 
every spiritual blessing. Can you imagine what God has in mind for us? And, and just picture the heavenly realms. I can't. It's too big for me. But that's the kind of thing that has happened as a result of this uh, event in our experience as Christians. <clears throat> if, if this event began before creation, then the Old Testament story is a part of the story. And we think back to the fall of Adam and Eve and the curses that came as a result of that fall. The punishment of men and women, the curse of Satan, and the promise that one day he would be overcome. And then the story goes on to Noah and how his family was saved and all the animals were saved from the flood of God's wrath because things had gotten so bad. And of course, Abraham, God called Abraham out of the Ur of Chaldees and promised him that his, his family would be more than the stars in the heaven. An amazing promise. He had a lot of other surprises in life too, but we don't need to go there, but it was just amazing the things that God did in his life. And then, of course, Moses. And we have the stories of Moses and him trying to lead the people out of his Egypt and how God hardened the hearts of Pharaoh and the various plagues that came along. And, uh, and towards the end, God spoke to Moses and Moses spoke to his, his elders and said, you take a lamb, a sheep or a ram, but take a lamb, perfect and spotless, and, and on this assigned day, I want you to slaughter that lamb and take the the blood and spread it over the doorpost and the side posts of your house. And then when the death angel came, of course, we know the story. The Hebrew people, the fir their firstborn were, were saved. The Hebrew people were saved. And that opened up the door for them to head out of Egypt. God rescued them. And it was the blood of the lamb, we are told, that was very significant. God required a blood sacrifice. Well, the stories go on, as you know. Um, the kings, the prophets, David, um, on up to Jesus. And along with that whole period of time, God instituted through Moses this Old Testament sacrificial system. The rules and regulations for sacrifice, who was to a sacrifice, the, uh, the tabernacle, and all the things that went into that so intricately planned. And then we get to these passages in Hebrews after Jesus' death. And we find out, Paul says, that the law, all that stuff that came before Jesus, the law was only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. And I'm not sure I understand how the Jewish mind works. For me, you know, you have the tree first and then you have the shadow. Well, for them, you had the shadow and then the real things came after. But however they explained it, it says, um, the law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming 
not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to Christ or near to worship. Otherwise, would they not have stopped being offered? For the worshipers would have <clears throat> been cleansed once for all and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. But these sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins. It's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away the sins. And so we're introduced to the ultimate sacrifice that Jesus made of his blood to take away the sins of the world. God was not pleased with the Old Testament system, but he had a plan, and that plan came from the very beginning of time that he would reconcile his people to himself. There's a passage in Luke that uh, helps us. It's one that we read frequently when we have the communion, uh, communion feast. And this is what Jesus said to his disciples at the Last Supper, the night he was betrayed. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. He said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. And after taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink it again from, from, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread, gave thanks, and broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This is the cup of the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. And we know how that story ends with Jesus on the cross and how he instituted this, this service for us to remember him and all that he's done for us. We'll flip back to Ephesians and, and follow through with some of the things that John, John talked about. I'm not going to read the passage, but just summarize it here. This, this story is not only an inter eternal story, it's a story that has depth. In other words, it goes from the very foundations of creation to the heavenly places. Dimensions that most of us find very difficult to fathom. But the things we do re remember, the things we do and can appreciate was the fact that God blessed us he just blessed us. He chose us, and he loved us, and he adopted us into his family. Brothers and sisters, he adopted us into his family as his children, and we receive his glorious grace, if you can imagine all, of that, all that that consists of. We were redeemed and purchased by Jesus' blood and delivered from sin. And this passage here speaks... Uh, with amazing clarity of how Jews and Gentiles were brought together as one family. That's just a snapshot, just a mention of all the things, all the depth of what has happened as a result of this 
this sacrifice that Jesus made for us. Just to expand on that, um, those blessings, let me read Ephesians 2, 11 through 16. Therefore remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. That's where we were. That's where our ancestors were as Gentiles, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ, Jesus who once, <coughs> excuse me, but now in Christ, Jesus, Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. Throughout that Old Testament period, that story, we know how God's people continuously fought with their enemies. And yet now, as a result of Jesus' death, we are all brought before the throne of grace because of what Jesus has done for us. Jesus has been placed at the right hand of God. And we, the church, are the body of Christ, Jesus being the head. Paul in Romans says that we have, that because of this sacrifice, God has made peace between us and God. There's no longer any animosity. There's no longer any reason to feel guilty for sin because Jesus took it away from us. In, in the chapter 5 of Romans, he says that because of this sacrifice, we are no longer exposed to God's wrath. We no longer have to be afraid of coming before him and living for him because of what he's done for us on the cross. Back in John, I'm just about done here. John 14. Verses 1 through 4. This is Jesus talking to his disciples. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that? I am going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, you will come back, I will come back, and take you with me, that you may also be where I am. You know, this isn't, this isn't the only family reunion that we're going to be a part of, celebrating this, celebrating a lunch together. There's going to be a bigger reunion, a fantastic reunion. And who's going to be there? Noah, Moses, family, David. Grandma Mary, 
so many. So many. We're going to be there. We're going to be there together. It's going to be a fantastic celebration. The biggest family reunion this universe has ever seen. Why? Because of what happened on the cross and what we are celebrating and remembering this morning. Because God loves us and he has a plan for us. And we no longer have to live in fear. We have the peace that surpasses all understanding because of what he's done for us. Jews and Gentiles, the church, the bride of Christ, all of us will be there for that great reunion. Can I have the folks that are going to help pass the emblems this morning uh, come forward?